If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Today is Thursday, March 5th, 2020. On this day in 1991, 11-year-old patient Timothy Hardwick was admitted to the hospital after suffering from epileptic seizures. He would die in the care of nurse Beverly Allett only a few hours later. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're discussing Beverly Allett, one of Britain's most notorious female serial killers, who was later nicknamed the Angel of Death. From February to April of 1991, Allett killed four pediatric patients and attempted to murder at least three others. Before we unpack the ramifications of her crimes, let's go back to the morning of March 5, 1991, just as Beverly arrived for her shift. Twenty-two-year-old Beverly Allett parked her car in the lot at Grantham and Castephen Hospital. She gathered her belongings and watched as children passed down the residential street, riding their bicycles and laughing. The days were getting longer and warmer here in Lincolnshire, especially on this March day. Inside, she buttoned up her scrubs, secured her bag in the hospital lockers, and washed her hands before beginning her shift. Beverly was only a few weeks into her job as a nurse in the children's ward at Grantham, also known as Ward 4. For Beverly, this was just another day of taking pulses, treating breaks and wounds, and administering medication to the young patients admitted to Ward 4. But around 2 p.m. that afternoon, a young boy was wheeled into the children's wing after suffering from a rather serious condition. 11-year-old Timothy Hardwick, who'd been formerly diagnosed with cerebral palsy, was admitted to Grantham and Castephen Hospital that day. Timothy was at school when he began experiencing violent epileptic seizures. His teachers rushed him to the hospital. Once admitted to Ward 4, Timothy continued to experience these convulsions. But after receiving excellent treatment from the hospital's top doctors, Timothy was stabilized. Three hours later, he was conscious and responsive. Doctors insisted the boy remain under their supervision for the next few hours to ensure that the seizures didn't return. During this time, Beverly Allett was assigned to look after 11-year-old Timothy. Allett promised Timothy's parents, Robert and Helen, that she would watch over the boy with great caution. The distressed couple trusted the sweet-faced woman who had already been so kind and gentle with their son. Allett insisted that the boy could use some rest and convinced Timothy's parents to leave him for some time. They complied, feeling confident that he was in good hands. 
After all, the doctors had just assured them he was making good progress. He should be able to return home soon. But once Timothy was alone with Alet, his condition began to change drastically. Around 6.30 p.m., Alet frantically exited Timothy's room, calling through the halls for help. The boy was fading. She needed them to come quickly. The resuscitation team hurried to Timothy's aid, but when they entered, they found Timothy lying still on the bed, blue in the face, with no pulse to be found. A pediatric specialist was called to try and revive the patient, but nothing could be done. Timothy Hardwick was gone, and nobody paid much attention to the 22-year-old nurse who was assigned to his care. Timothy's parents were, of course, devastated. An autopsy was later performed to find the exact cause of the young boy's death, but failed to provide any additional evidence. Doctors blamed Timothy's untimely death on his cerebral palsy and epileptic seizures, but this was the second young death to happen on the hospital's watch in the last two weeks. First, the death of seven-week-old Liam Taylor, and now 11-year-old Timothy Hardwick, two patients who were left in Alet's care. And yet, no red flags were raised by the nurse just yet. Her killing spree had only just begun. Coming up, we'll unpack the ramifications and possible motivations for Beverly Allett's extremely disturbing crimes. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now back to the story. On Tuesday, March 5th, 1991, 22-year-old Beverly Allett claimed her second victim, 11-year-old Timothy Hardwick. The boy was under her care at the Grantham and Castephen Hospital in Lincolnshire, England. At first, she walked away from these murders scot-free. But when her list of victims grew larger, it simply became too hard for her to hide. Only three days after Timothy Hardwick's murder, Alet felt the need to kill again. This time, her victim was one-year-old Kaylee Desmond, who had been admitted to the hospital with a chest infection. Doctors assured the girl's parents that her health was improving, but after five days on Ward 4 with Nurse Allett, on March 8th, Kaylee went into cardiac arrest. The resuscitation team was able to revive Kaylee and transferred her to another hospital. The young girl managed to survive. On March 20, 1991, five-month-old Paul Crampton was admitted to the ward after a bronchial infection. Paul was also tended to by Nurse Allett, who once again went crying through the halls, seeking help after Paul had gone into shock. This time, doctors found excessive amounts of insulin in the boy's system, which caused him to fall in and out of near comas. 
Luckily for young Paul, he also managed to survive. In April of 1991, Allett managed to claim the lives of two-month-old Becky Phillips, who died of insulin overdose, as well as one-year-old Claire Peck, who died from cardiac arrest. Now, Allett's connection to these patients over the last 59 days was too obvious to ignore. Investigators began to look into Allett's documented activities and found missing daily nursing logs from the hospital archives. Suspicions were also raised over Allett's easy access to hospital drugs. She also happened to be the only nurse on duty when each of the children was attacked. But soon, even more incriminating details resurfaced from Allett's past. As a young child, Allett was known to go to great lengths to gain attention for herself. She would often wear bandages or casts over unexplained and unexamined wounds and injuries. She even had her appendix removed, despite her doctors insisting she was fine. She spent days away from school and in hospitals, receiving medical attention for a variety of ailments that didn't seem to exist. Background checks later done by the police showed that Allett might have been suffering from childhood factitious disorder, previously called Munchausen syndrome. Patients suffering from factitious disorder gain attention by either feigning illness or self-harming to induce illness or injury. This syndrome might be brought on by childhood trauma, like neglect, abuse, or other unsolved issues with their parents or caretakers. Sometimes when factitious disorder goes untreated, it can evolve into factitious disorder imposed on another. Some of Allett's fellow co-workers agreed that her behavior at times seemed extremely odd, and they should have been paying closer attention to the issue. For example, one unnamed former co-worker mentioned that Allett claimed she was attacked by a poltergeist who stuck knives in her pillows and set her bathroom on fire. In a separate incident, the police came to Allett's home to investigate a reported kitchen fire. When they arrived, they found what appeared to be human feces stored in the refrigerator. As the murder investigation continued, police found lethal levels of insulin in some of the victims, along with puncture marks where Allett had made the injection. She was believed to have cut off oxygen from her other victims by smothering them or tampering with their machines. And by the summer of 1991, the police finally had enough information to arrest Allett for her crimes. Allett was found guilty in 1993 of murdering four children, attempting to murder three more, and causing serious bodily harm to another six. During her trial, Allett developed a case of severe anorexia nervosa, which only further spoke to her psychological struggles. After she was convicted, Allett was incarcerated at a high-security mental health facility called Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottinghamshire, England. She remains there to this day, where she'll continue to serve 13 life sentences for the pain and suffering of those Lincolnshire families. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more information on the murders of the killer caregiver, 
check out our episodes of Serial Killers for a two-part in-depth narrative of Beverly Allen's crimes. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Lori Gottlieb, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson.